Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, we are in a new series this week. We actually started it last week. We are in a series called Joshua. It's uh, mentioned this last week. It's a very... um, just a great name for a sermon series. You might be wondering, well, what's the sermon series about? Well, it's about Joshua. Uh, you may not have linked those two together, but last week we started off looking at the book of Joshua and looking at Joshua's life. Uh, if you do not know this, Moses, who had led God's people out of, out of slavery, uh, was bringing them to the promised land. Uh, they never got to, to, to make it there. Um, because God's people ended up getting really scared and they saw that the people in the land were big and the cities were big and everything was big and they said, we can't do this. However, Joshua and Caleb, they were there and we had looked at Numbers 13 and 14 last week along with Joshua 1 and Joshua and Caleb were the only ones at the time who said, listen, the city might be big, the people might be big. But if the Lord delights in us, we should be moving forward because this is what the Lord has called us to. And we looked last week at Joshua 1 and how the Lord had commanded Joshua three times, be strong and courageous, for I am with you. And I challenged us last week, not that we are here to be taking a land somewhere, we're not storming Nagani or Houghton or someplace like that, but we as God's church are called to be a witness within his kingdom. And as a witness, I believe that the Lord has commanded us as well to be strong and courageous, for the work ahead will be difficult, but the Lord will be with us. Well, today we are going to be looking at Joshua chapter 3, and before we turn there, i gotta, I got to summarize Joshua chapter 2, because uh, I didn't want to just skip ahead without kind of giving a, a brief summary of what was taking place in Joshua chapter 2. So Joshua chapter 2, Joshua goes to some more spies and tells them, I want you to go into the promised land, I want you to be sneaking in there, I want you to go to the city of Jericho, and I want you to get a report on what is taking place there. So what they do is these spies end up at a prostitute's house. Uh, if you're questioning whether or not that's in the Bible, it's, it's in the Bible. Uh, Rahab's house, and they go to her, and she informs them um, that the people of this city are actually extremely frightened by the people of Israel. How they had heard from years ago and how the Lord had dried up the Red Sea and how they had passed out of Egypt. And in Joshua 2, 9 through 11, and, and it said, this is what she, she uh, said, she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away. Before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Shilon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there is no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is a God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. 
So Joshua's spies report back in verse 24, Truly the Lord has given us the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. I just want to point out one quick biblical observation of Joshua chapter 2 before we, before we go on to Joshua chapter 3, is that I find it so interesting that Moses sent out spies and Joshua sent out spies, and, jo- and, and Moses' spies just went there and looked at the land, and they grabbed some fruit and brought it back. But Joshua's spies actually talked to the people. And you, we need to remember, this was 40 years later. Okay? 40 years later, the people of the town, the people of the land, are still scared of the Israelite people. And I just... I just share this one because I find it so fascinating that for 40 years, they were nervous about God's people coming into the land. Nervous because they had heard what God had done. And of course, Rahab, she would have known about this, mainly because of her, um, you could say because of her job. (laughs) She had a lot of conversations. I'll just with different men. So she kind of had some insight to what was happening in the city. I'm not going to share any more on that. You can read back and kind of read in between what's going on there. But I just find it so interesting that when the spies go and talk to the people, the people are completely frightened about, about what the Lord is going to be doing. Well, today we are going to be looking at God's people crossing over the Jordan. So please turn with me to Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 5, and we're going to stand and we're going to read God's word this morning in Joshua. It says this, the word of God in Joshua 3, 5. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in sight of all all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. In verse 8, So as for you, command the priest to bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the, the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the uh, Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribe of, of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the, of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Verse 14. So the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before 
the people. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the water, the water, verse 16, coming down from above, stood and rose up as a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and who's following down to the sea of the Arhab and the, and the Salt Sea were, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite of Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel was passing on dry ground till all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the work that you did and how you led your people. Father, today, as we look to your word, Lord, I ask that you would come and speak to our hearts and to our minds this morning through your Holy Spirit. Father, minister to us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated here. So as I studied this passage this past week, and you guys were probably sitting there reading, hopefully you did not doze off while we were reading it there. You might be sitting there thinking, well, what is happening here? And the thing that came to my mind over and over this past week is that three phrases started to stand out to me. I want to share those, share those three phrases with you. And then I want us to kind of go into each one of these. Each one of these phrases that we're going to be talking about today could be its own separate message themselves. Set apart, he leads, we follow. I don't know if it's behind me. Probably is. Hopefully, Boyne. Boyne, uh, yeah. Okay, Boyne's laser focused back there. I like that. We're going to talk about each one of those phrases. And as we looked at the scripture verse, I see that those phrases is what keeps on standing out. So the first phrase, set apart. Now I have preached on this phrase probably multiple times, at least I think I have. Maybe I haven't, maybe it's just been conversations, but I've talked a lot about how God's people have always been called to be set apart. And as you read Scripture, the Lord will use different words at different times to basically communicate the same thing. One word would be the word holy, which literally means to be set apart. Leviticus 11.45 For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. You'll also see the word sanctify, but you will see... This word, consecrate yourselves. Just before in Leviticus eleven forty four, it says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, to be holy. For I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. Joshua is getting ready to lead God's people into the promised land. And one of Joshua's first words to him, Joshua 3, 5, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for the Lord, for, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. You might be sitting there thinking, well, what does that mean? How does one person consecrate themselves before the Lord? It's a great question. Well, Exodus 19 answers this one for us. 
Exodus 19, 14 through, through 15. It says, So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, set them apart. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. There's this idea that is taught that when, when God's people are called to consecrate themselves before him, it was a, a washing of one's clothes. And it would also have been a washing of one's body because once you take your clothes off, you've got to get clean as well. But it was this idea of God's people setting themselves apart for God's purposes. I do want to just point out verse 15. Um, I was thinking about this one. Uh, every time my, my wife asked me to do something, I was thinking about verse 15. It says, Lord, I need to be ready. I cannot go near you. Honey, I would love to work on this project this week, but I'm trying to consecrate myself before the Lord. And verse 15 says, I can't even go near you right now. Hope you're picking up on that joke. Please do not quote that to your wife this week. Unless you really are separating yourself for the work of the Lord that he has for you. But, but why did God's people need to be set apart? Why did they and why were they called to be people that were set apart? Because that was the calling God had for them, to be set apart. Now, throughout all of Scripture, and I will argue this throughout all of Scripture, the Lord has always called his people, to be set apart for a purpose. Exodus 6. This is Moses' Moses, Moses's time. Uh, Exodus 6, 6 through 7. Say therefore to the people of Israel. So this is the Lord speaking to Moses. Moses, I want you to say this. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a great act of judgment. Verse 7. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. All of Scripture teaches God has called his people to be set apart with this one purpose in mind. To be his people. Back, way back then, in the Old Testament, God was constantly calling them, consecrate yourselves, be holy, for I am holy. Sanctify oneself, because I want you to be set apart from the rest of this world for this purpose, for you to be my people. Romans 12 gives us, gives us a little bit of insight to this. Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, there's that word, holy, set apart and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God's people have always been called to be a people that is set apart from this world. Now, I said this earlier, this is an entire sermon series on this one phrase that we could be going down. But I do want to quote one more scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God's people have always been called to be people that are set apart from this world. And I, I preached on this often, and I realize that, but you and I are different than this world. We live in this world, but our allegiance to this world is radically different than, the, than those around us. We are set apart because we are His people, Scripture teaches. So, go home, take a shower, clean your clothes. You will have consecrated yourselves before the Lord today. Well, number two, which is so weird preaching like this because I never, I never preach this way. Second phrase, he leads. As you look at Joshua chapter 3, you will see a sequence of events that is taking place. The Lord speaks to Joshua 7, or this is Joshua 3, 7 and 8. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I'll begin to exalt you in sight of all of Israel that they that they may know that as I was with Moses, I will be with you. As for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. Remember that little phrase right there, the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. The Lord had said, Joshua, I want you to send the Ark of the Covenant out first. The priests are going to be carrying this. The Ark of the Covenant is going to be going first. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, what is this Ark of the Covenant? Well, um, there was this famous guy who did a lot of archaeology uh, in like the 1930s. And then in the 80s, we made some movies about this guy. Um, and we got a picture of what the Ark of the Covenant looks like. Boy, if you could throw that thing up there. Uh, on this side, I think, uh, is the great, um, he was a professor. Uh, he was known as Indiana Jones. And in the middle is the picture of the Ark of the Covenant. And I wanted to kind of give you a brief uh, understanding of what the Ark of the Covenant was. Because for us, we don't really think about this. We could just simply read those words and think, oh, the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, big deal. Well, the Ark of the Covenant had a few things inside of it. The Ten Commandments, the actual tablets that the Lord had uh, given the Ten Commandments to Moses. Aaron's staff and a bowl for manna. And there's two cherubim as you, is the picture still up there? I can't see. Okay, so you got these uh, two like wing type type things facing one another. Those would be the two cherubim. And the place between the cherubim, God promised to speak to Moses in that place. And the place between the two is called the mercy seat. Now, in 1 Samuel 4, it describes how the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, at this time, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. That's what it represented at this time. So who goes into the water first? Joshua 3, 14, it says, So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. I point this out here because God is going to lead his people. 
Joshua, you're going to be going down to the promised land. I will be with you. Set yourselves apart. You are different than everyone else, every other nation that has ever existed. You will be my people. And then God said, I'm going to lead you. They send the ark first to lead God's people. You know how many times in the Bible it talks about God leading? No, no, anybody know? Like, I'm just kind of, anybody got like a number off the top? Like, someone's like quickly Googling it. How many times? I want to just look at Psalms. I've been, I've been like in the Psalms lately. Love the Psalms. Psalm 23, 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What does he do? He leads. He leads me beside still waters. Psalm 25, 5. Let, lead me in your truth. And teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all the day long. 119.35 Lead me in the paths of your, command, for you, of your commandments, for I delight in it. 143.10 Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. The Lord leads. This has been always the biblical case. He leads his people. He led them back then. He's, he leads us today. There is this overarching teaching that, that he leads. So what does that mean for us? Thank you. That's the third one today. That's the third phrase. We follow. Uh, Joshua 3.17, Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel was passing over on the dry ground till all the nation had passed, finished passing over the Jordan. The Lord goes first, and then we follow. And I realize for some of you, you might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, this, this is like Christianity 101. It 100% is. These are the basic you could say the basic teaching of Scripture. He leads, we follow. When Jesus comes to his future disciples, what does he say to them? Follow me. We have one job, and I would argue this is probably the most difficult job you will ever do. We have one job. We simply follow. Which means if, if we follow, who's in charge? Not us, okay? Well, I'll, just, I'll just leave it out there for you. You might be sitting there thinking, well, who is in charge? We are not in charge. And in fact, this is so countercultural to our world that maybe we, we don't even realize this, but you and I live in America. Okay, America has a culture. Um, many of us love the culture. We love living here. But American culture has so taught us that we're in charge, that I make the rules, that I decide what to do, that I'm free to do what I want, when I want. And then there's those who follow Christ, 
And I'm going to tell you, they're different. Okay, we may live in this culture, but the moment you become a Christian, which I think is one of the most difficult things we can ever do on this side of heaven, because it's us coming to him and saying, okay, Lord, if you're in charge, then that means my job is to follow. That means I don't get to decide what I do. And I'm telling you guys, this is, this is the most difficult thing we as the human race can ever do. Because we want to do what we want to do. On any given day, when you wake up, I guarantee you, one of your first thoughts is, well, what am I going to do today? What do I want to do today? But the Lord says that he goes, and then our job is to follow. You might be sitting there thinking, well, what does this look like, pastor, from day to day? Church, he's given you his word. And I know I bring this up a lot, and I'm hammering this one. I'm kind of like a Bible thumper here on this topic. But he's literally giving you his word. And then he says, follow me. And it's like, our job is to simply follow his word. And then he's going to give you, well, he does, the moment you come to Christ, he gives you his Holy Spirit that's going to lead you. But it's never going to be contrary to his word. And the task of us as followers is to say, Lord, what does your word say? And then how do I live that out? How do I, how do I walk each and every day in obedience to your word? It's the most difficult thing we do. I'm, I, I just know this to be a fact because I'm human along with you. And we're trying to just simply follow him every single day. I'm going to give you one quick practical example. Um, I asked my wife if I could share this. She said, yes, uh, but don't make me look too bad. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll really, really try not to. Wednesday morning, church family, I left the house. My wife and I had a disagreement, okay? Yes, sometimes pastor and his wife disagree. If you've ever hung out with us, you will understand that, yes, sometimes there is a disagreement, okay? Um, 99% of the time, I'm wrong. I get it. You know, I, I, uh, before I got married, I prayed and prayed. I said, Lord, I want a woman who's going to be more righteous than me. And he brings me one. And so, uh, and I also admit to her often, I said, listen, I'm sorry, honey. I'm, I realize I'm part of the patriarchy and I'm a male and I'm just, I'm just this flawed human being. Well, anyways, Wednesday morning, my wife and I had a little disagreement and we, and I left and I came to work, Right. And, well, this past week, I've been, I've, been, I've been spending time in my personal reading in the book of First and Second Peter. And I'm here at the office, and I'm plugging away, and this verse comes back to my mind. First Peter 3.7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And the conviction came. I was like, Lord, I need to call my wife. I need to apologize. I couldn't, honestly, church family, I couldn't even tell you what the argument was even about. Honestly. My wife, who's not in here, she might know. You could quiz her afterwards and be like, hey, what were you and a pastor arguing about on Wednesday? Couldn't even tell you. 
But if our job is to follow, our job is to come underneath the authority of him. If he leads, then we follow. And if we're going to follow, we're going to be obedient to his word. Like what I've said, and I'm going to say this for the fifth time, it's the most difficult thing we do. Because it means, church family, that we submit to him. That if there's this little throne room set up and we think that we ourselves is the center of the universe, we get off of the throne. He's on the throne. He is king. He is Lord. We just say, I will follow you. Whatever you command me to do, I will follow you. Wednesday morning I also quoted 1 Peter 3, 6 back to my wife. It says, as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. No, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I did not do that. I should have pointed that one out. Be like, listen, honey, I just remember Sarah, remember Abraham, little, little L. Church family, this is the calling that God has always had upon us. We are called to be his people. His people are set apart from this world. He leads his people. He is the great shepherd. He leads us. And the calling upon our lives is simply this. Lord, we follow you. We look to your word. We walk in obedience to your word. And we follow you. That's the calling upon his people. It was his calling in Joshua as they were going into the promised land. And it's the calling today. That's our calling, church. He's in charge. And we say, Lord, we come and we follow you. Regardless of what I want, regardless of my will, Lord, I submit my will to your will. And I, I just think, church family, this is like the foundation of life. This is the foundation of being a Christ follower. And it's something that we need to be reminded of often. Because I'm telling you, you're going to wake up tomorrow and selfishness is going to come right back to you. Because that's human nature. That's part of our sinful nature. And then it's us every single day saying, Lord, I die to myself and I live for you. You want me to love how you've called me to love? I'll do it. You call me to forgive? I'll do it. And then our job, church family, is just simply going to his word, reading it, and saying, Lord, help me to be obedient to this. Help me to just simply live this out today. That's our calling. That's his calling upon our lives each and every single day. I'm going to invite the worship team up here. And I want us, um, I think there's, there's no way, there's no Nothing better to do at the end of service, at the end of reading God's word, is for us to take time and take communion. Because communion, if you do not know, is a remembrance time. Communion is us remembering what Christ has done for us. It's saying, Lord, you are in charge, but... but we should be proclaiming to one another how great our God is and how amazing he is that, that these two elements, which 
The bread represents his body, which was beaten for us. God stepped into time. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, became flesh, stepped into time, put his body on a cross for his people. It's the greatest act that has ever taken place within human history, that God would sacrifice his body. And the bread represents that. And then we have a little cup of juice that represents his blood, which is poured out for us. See, if there's no blood poured out, we're not forgiven, Scripture teaches us. But his blood covers our sin, washes away our sin. And we here today are going to remember this. I want to pray for us before we take the bread and then the juice together. Father, we come to you today. Father, your people who desperately need you. Father, we need to be reminded today of how great you are. The sacrifice you made for us. Father, we come and we submit our lives to you. We trust in the work that you have done for us. Father, today as we take these elements together, we remember what you have done for us. Lord Jesus, you went to that cross because of my sin for me. Father, your body was beaten for me. Your blood was poured out because you love us, Lord. Father, we come to you. We praise you. We remember you. Lord, we are so grateful that our sins, as many as they are, are forgiven. Church family, let's take the bread together this morning. And before we take the juice, his blood washes away our sins. All of them, church family. Your past, present, and future sins are wiped clean. Not because of us, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Remember that as we take the juice together. I'm going to ask you to stand. As you stand, we're going to worship our King one more time this morning. Father, as we worship you, as we praise you, Father, continue to minister to our hearts and minds this morning. Father, we come and we give you praise now.